You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. You know, as Christians, every single one of us is called to be a minister of the gospel. It's not just something that's reserved for pastors or evangelists or people that hold a a certain vocation. But it is a call that God has put on every one of our lives to fulfill the Great Commission. You know, at CLCC, we exist to share the love of Christ everywhere we go and ultimately to lead people to Jesus. And this can only be accomplished because of the gospel. You know, in fact, we are saved because of a response that each one of us has made to the gospel. You know, I like the way that Steve Holmstrom, uh, somebody with an evangelistic gifting, has, who uh, I'm not sure if he still does or not, but him and his wife used to run an oil field servicing company in central Alberta. And uh, he has this to say about what the Bible says about the gospel. Are you ready? The Bible says that we are to believe in the gospel, preach the gospel, impart the gospel, labor in the gospel, communicate the gospel, and seek the furtherance of the gospel. We are to defend the gospel, confirm the gospel, serve in the gospel, suffer for the gospel, lose our lives for the sake of the gospel, and make known the mystery of the gospel. The gospel is to be testified to, separated onto, ministered, shared, confessed, and obeyed. In the Bible, the gospel was preached to everyone, the rich, the poor, and we are called to share it with every tribe, nation, and tongue. Our conduct is to be worthy of the gospel, and we are to be established according to the gospel. We're supposed to be straightforward and truthful about the gospel as we share the word of the gospel. Have you ever heard the gospel so many times in your life? I don't know if I have. We've been trusted with the gospel, have our fellowship with the gospel. We come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel and beget spiritual sons and daughters through the gospel. Take a look at your feet. They're to be shod with preparation of the gospel. We have to be careful to never hinder the gospel, be ashamed of the gospel, turn away from the gospel, abuse our authority in the gospel, subvert the gospel, nor preach another gospel. I'm talking about the glorious gospel, the everlasting gospel, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of peace, the gospel of salvation. It is good news. It is light. It is the power of God for salvation. Wow. Should I sit down now? No. That was good. But the gospel... What exactly is the gospel? I'm actually curious. This is hypothetical. What, what is a working definition of the gospel that, that you guys could throw up at, here at me right now? You can just yell it out. John 3.16. So if you had to define the gospel, a working definition, what is the gospel? Hope, meaning, the kingdom of God, 
good news, truth, anything else? What was that? God's endless love. Yeah. Anything else? Redemption. Oh, that's good. It's a big part of it, isn't it? Anything else come to mind? Home? Bold. Boldness. A boldness in declaring the gospel. Yeah. Death and resurrection. I have an inkling that that's a big part of it. Jesus. Oh, Pastor Hayward almost forgot the Sunday school answer. Jesus. Jesus is always the answer, isn't it? Isn't it? It's funny. It's one of those answers that you think you can never go wrong until they ask you, like, what is your, you know, like, what is your middle name? And you're like, Jesus. <laughs> but, but the gospel is key to absolutely everything. As Christians, we are people of the gospel. You know, in the Old Testament... The Romans and the Jews and other peoples referred to Christians as people of the book. People that, that lived by and according to the teachings of Jesus and the gospel. You know, to create a working definition for the gospel, I want to take a look at the New Testament. You know, first I'd like to note that there are four books in the New Testament that are titled Gospels. Gospels according to Mark which they think was the first gospel written, Matthew, Luke, and John. And when you look at these four gospels, they essentially tell the story of the life and ministry, death and resurrection, and the mission of God given to the church until the end of time, until Christ returns. In a way, they're bio biographical of Jesus' life. You know, I also want to look at Paul, however, though, who's one of the primary teachers that we learn from to understand and gain our theology within the New Testament. The way that we understand how to walk out and live the faith which, which we own, the faith that we have, have come to believe in through Jesus. You know, Paul was a Jewish man who was called to minister to non-Jewish populations called Gentiles. And most of us in this room, I imagine, will be people that are ministering to Gentiles or people who are not practicing Jews or people of Jewish lineage. Um, and in many cases, people who may have a limited knowledge of the Bible. You know, today, the Bible is not as commonplace as it once was. You know, in 1950, there was a good chance that a majority of the kids that went to school with children had some basis and understanding of the Bible, maybe went to Sunday school themselves. And uh, today that's not the case. The majority of people do not go to school and there's we're the second, third generation that have been removed from Sunday school and from church and, and from really biblical literacy. And so I want to begin by looking at Romans 1. Paul here says, this is a letter from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. So like we heard this morning, the gospel is good news. God promised this good news a long, long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. And he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. So here in the intro of Paul's book or his letter to the people in Rome, he says that the gospel is good news. But it's not just any good news. It's good news that was prophesied and promised long ago through the prophets and through the Holy Scriptures. The gospel is good news, not just about anyone, but specifically the Son of God, Jesus, who was born into King David's line, killed and raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, which Paul says demonstrates his authority and the fact that he is Lord over all, including death. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 3, Paul again summarizes the gospel message for us. He says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You were welcomed, you welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. Now, it's important that when we hear the gospel, that we stand firm in that gospel, that we don't waver from it, that we build our life off of it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you never believed something that was, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. So, so some versions of the Bible say that, or you believed in vain. Or you believed in vain. So we are to stand fast in the gospel as we read in the scriptures, as we read in the New Testament. You know, when he talks about, you know, believing something that was never true in the first place, he's telling us this because there is more than one gospel. There's more than one story about God's plan to redeem the world. And we are called to believe the right one, the right gospel, the true gospel, as the scriptures share. You know, sometimes, you know, we see that the gospel goes forth. People hear the gospel. And Jesus gives us a parable about sometimes how the gospel is received into the human heart. And he parallels the human heart with soils. Talks about how sometimes, you know, a seed will fall onto a pathway. It's hard and brittle and, and there's nothing there for it to take root and the birds come and just instantly take it away. You know, a seed might fall into, into thickets, into, into not good soil that that then is just overcrowded and taken out by just the cares and concerns of the world. And sometimes that's what it's like when we respond to the gospel, but then the cares and the concerns overtake our life. And then we're no longer living, coinciding with the gospel and the power of the gospel and the fruitfulness of that gospel. You know, sometimes the gospel goes out and somebody hears the gospel and they want to respond, and but... But the gospel truth really is, is quite shallow. The roots don't go down deep. They have no foundation. And they don't last long and they fall away and the things of the enemy come and when hardships come in life, people begin to fall away from God. They stop putting their trust in Jesus, their trust in God, and instead put their trust in other things. Might be their finances, might be their good looks, could be maybe their spouse, their ability to make their life better through means of human striving. But then there's the message that falls on good soil. And when the gospel lands on good soil, it's fruitful. It multiplies. 
And this is one of the reasons that we're having a parenting conference, church. I want to give one last pitch because we're in the last week. Is that our jobs as parents is not to coerce our children to love Jesus because we can't do that. You can't make your kids or your grandchildren want Jesus. But what you can do as a parent is try to shape their life and shape their heart to be good soil so that when the truth of God's word comes into their life, that it takes root. And it's a conditioning, and it takes work, and it takes practice praying into and, and following some of the, the principles of the word lays out about how to parent and how to parent to the heart. And so that's going to be the last thing that I say about the parenting conference this morning. But if you are a parent, going to be a future parent, or even you know a parent that you want to get that information to that can't go, maybe it's worth going yourself just to learn about it so you can share it with someone else. I encourage you. I dare you. I dare you. So Paul continues here in 1 Corinthians. He says, I passed on to you what was most important, that which has been passed on to me. Similarly to what Pastor Hayward said today, that Paul passed on to us concerning communion what he'd learned from Christ. Here, Paul is telling us what what he has learned and is passing on to us concerning the gospel. Most notably, it says that Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. So here in 1 Corinthians, when Paul is talking about the scriptures, what is he referring to? What scriptures is, is he referring to? The Old Testament, you're right. So the New Testament hadn't been, some of it may not have been written yet. It certainly hadn't been compiled together into a groups of books and letters um, in the way that we understand the Bible now. And so he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures. Some of these scriptures include Isaiah 53, 6, that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own ways, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. In Isaiah 53, 11, that after he had suffered, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. You see, the gospel is a story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The gospel is a story of God rescuing and restoring humanity and ultimately, eventually, all of creation through Jesus Christ. You know, it begins not just at the birth of Jesus, but at the very crux of creation when God decided to put his plan of creating this world into motion. And at that moment, he knew that he was going to be sending his son to redeem it, which is crazy. You know, the gospel is a story that explains how man can be justified and sanctified through Christ and receive eternal life. This means being made right with God is what justification means. A sanctification being made like God. You know, we were created in God's image, the Bible says in Genesis. But something happened. Human nature became corrupted through sin through a rebellious act on behalf of God, deciding of man, sorry, towards God, 
saying, you know what, God, we don't need you. We can make our own decisions. We can determine what's right and wrong without you. And from that moment, the human heart became corrupted, and it affected all of creation. All of creation became corrupted. What was made in the image of God has now corrupted, and God has a plan to restore all of creation back into perfect unity again, back into the way he intended it to be, including humanity, including you and I, and the brokenness that's in our life, and the sin that plagues our lives. And he did it through his son. And this is the amazing message of the gospel. This means being made right with a holy, righteous, just God, a God who is full of love, grace, and truth, a God who is love. If the gospel is a story, then evangelism is sharing that story with someone else. You know, sometimes I think that we feel like evangelism is so complicated. It's something that's unattainable, something that is for other people that are really gifted, know their Bibles really well, and that maybe one day we'll be able to attain some level of knowledge that's great enough to be able to share to have an impact with someone that you know, someone that you care about. But if we're going to become a church that leads people to Jesus, then it's important that we learn how to effectively communicate God's story, the story of redemption, the story of how God came as a man in the person of Jesus Christ so that we could be reconciled to him, the Bible says. It's an amazing story. As people of the gospel, the way that we transmit that gospel is through storytelling. You know, I don't know if any of you grew up in a family that told a lot of stories, you know. Um, we grew up every night, whenever my dad put us to bed, we would always ask him to tell us a story. My mom was the kind that couldn't ever think of a story, so for her it was like whatever's written on a page, that was the story we got. But my dad always had amazing stories. We wanted to know stories about his childhood, things that he did with his friends. One of the questions that he never answered that my brother and I always used to ask him was, what's the scariest thing that ever happened to you? When were you the most afraid? And I don't know, he never gave us a satisfactory answer for that one. I guess that's why he was Superman back then, because he wasn't afraid of nothing. You know, but the gospel story, at its rudimentary form, you know, at its, at, at its, at its core, there's a few things that we have to touch on in order to communicate it effectively. You know, there's, there's a point that you can try to dwindle down the gospel to the point that it's lost its effectiveness, that it's no longer the gospel. But at the same time, we have to learn how to communicate it simply. Because the gospel is something that, can, that is meant to be communicated to a child, to be fully understood, but yet it's so complex and, and comprehensive and amazing that theologians can study it and debate it for 2,000 years and not exhaust how immense and, and amazing this gospel is. And so a few key things that I want to touch on this morning is that when we talk about the gospel, first and foremost, we have to remember that it's about God. Sometimes in our modern world, we start with us. And we, we, 
tell the gospel lens through, through the lens of our lives. And it's okay to do sometimes. But at the heart of the gospel, it is ultimately about Jesus, who he is. And so when we communicate the gospel, we have to communicate who is God. Something about his attributes and his nature, who is he? You know, two, we have to touch on the fact that of who we are as people, who is man, what is humanity? The fact that we're made in the image of God, that we have a fallen nature and that we have been corrupted by sin. You know, we live in a world that this idea of sin or a fallen nature doesn't make sense. It's foolishness to the world. That we see a child and we think they have innocence to them, but they're not innocent before God. They may have not wronged you, but they're born in a corrupted form in which God has come to redeem. And so, and the world doesn't see that and they don't understand and they don't see the need for redemption in the first place because so many of us view us, our default position as humanity is good. The Bible says that actually we think we're good, but at our heart we're not. It's actually, our heart is deceitful and wicked and rebellious towards God and deserving of, of wrath or judgment, depending on which translation you read. And the reason that, there, that, that this exists is because God is holy many things. God is fully just, as, and he is fully loving. He is fully merciful, and he is fully full of grace. You know, one of the questions, this was not in my sermon notes, but something I feel I want to share. I was talking to Rhea about the other day, the other night, was this issue in the Bible, maybe one of the biggest issues that people have today was how can a good God judge temporary sin with a permanent consequence forever and ever, an eternal consequence? That I know like when I talk to some friends and family that, that aren't Christians, they don't understand that. How is it that I said I commit today that God is going to judge me based on what I do today for eternity when it's just temporal sin. But that's not the issue. The issue is that God is a fully just God. And I was thinking about it in, the, in, in terms of, of a court case. That imagine if you committed a silly offense with a friend. Maybe you went and you as a teenager went and vandalized a car. Or maybe you TP'd a house and then somebody ended up slipping and falling and now you are being charged for, sued for hurting somebody. Whatever it is, you show up at court with your friend. You both were equally responsible for whatever crime you committed. And the judge sees, sees your friend, knows your friend, says, I ate supper with his dad last Friday night. I love that kid. You let off, my son. And you're thinking, oh, yes, I got a good judge today. This judge is really, really good. He's going to see my case. He's going to be compassionate. And you come up to the podium, and he says, sir, give me your name. And you're like, my name? Shouldn't you know my name? You knew his name. And all of a sudden, the judge gives you a really harsh sentence. In our world, we would call that corrupt. If, we, if that was our, the way that our political system worked and our courts worked, we'd call that corruption. This arbitrary, I'm just going to let somebody off. There's no consequences for that pain, for that sin. And we know in the real world that that's not the way it works. 
Sometimes we talk about it like with every action, there's an opposite or equal reaction. That we know that it makes sense that if there's sin, if we cause harm, that there's an effect on someone else. And therefore, somebody has to pay a cost. And in the case spiritually, because God is fully just, as well as loving, as well as gracious, as, as well as merciful, he made a way that he could save us without becoming corrupt, without having to go against his own nature of being fully just. And the way that he did that was by taking your sin and my sin and taking it upon himself, taking it upon Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sins so that we don't have to suffer for them. And instead, we get to exchange our sin for new life in Jesus Christ. So God loves us anyways, even though that we've sinned and we have this in nature, and he sent his son to die on the cross. That's the third aspect that we always have to touch on, that our world does not understand today, but it's crucially important that we understand it if we want to communicate the gospel to others. Four, that he was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit, that he defeated death and is the only way to God. This is also a big head scratcher for people. How is it possible that there's only one way? Pastor Mark, are you really telling me there's only one way to heaven? There's a lot of good people out there. Yes, there are a lot of people that have the capacity to do good things in the eyes of the world through our lens. But unless we come to faith in Jesus and trust in him, the penalty for our sin is still on us. It hasn't been exchanged yet fully. You see, we are made right with God through faith in Christ by putting our trust in him, believing in what he did and choosing to follow him. You see, I don't need a show of hands this morning, but I would guess that everyone in this room at some point in your Christian walk has shared your faith or wanted to share your faith and maybe struggled at times. Maybe you didn't have the words. Maybe you weren't sure what to say. Maybe you were in a work situation where you weren't sure how far you could go before getting into trouble. You know, sometimes we don't share our faith simply because we don't feel prepared. Maybe we haven't memorized scriptures or we don't feel like we have a good grasp on the simple gospel message. And sometimes it's almost embarrassing because we can be in the church for a long time and we have trouble defining something as simple as the gospel, something that is so core and key to our faith. And so rather than admitting that I actually don't know, we just avoid it rather than going and seeking the answer so that we can be more effective in reaching our world and reaching our friends and our family with the love of God through the gospel. You know, some of us may be hesitating because we don't feel like you know enough or you're qualified to share about Christ to someone else. But the truth is we don't need to have gone to Bible college or seminary to share the gospel. All we have to have had is a relationship with God, receive the gospel ourselves, have the word of God, a love for God and others, and we can share our faith. You know, the truth is, the more that we do it, the more comfortable and natural it will become. The reason why evangelism and sharing our faith feels awkward is simply because we don't do it enough. The first time I got behind the wheel of a car, it was awkward. My first time I took my driver's test, I blazed through a four-way stop. Let me tell you, I didn't get much leniency there. 
Instant fail, by the way. See, the more we do something, the more natural and the more effective we'll be at it. But there's also another crucial, crucial element, which is the leading of the Spirit and the love of God in our heart. And so like I said a few weeks ago, that if we don't have a love for the lost, we're not going to evangelize. We're not going to share our faith in the first place. And if we do, no method, no methodology, no phrasing is going to help us get there. Because we can see through that smoke screen, can't we? You can tell when someone is just after something or wants something from you as opposed to loving you and just wants to give you something. And we live in a skeptical world where whenever somebody wants to give something away for free, you're always thinking, what's the catch? What do you want on the back end? But with the gospel, there is no catch other than God wants your entire life in exchange for his. But it's not a catch because it's a free gift. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something that you deserve from being good enough, but it's a free gift from God. Evangelism is not only restricted to the select few. You continue on here um, with Corinthians. He says, though through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them. So they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. You see, when Jesus gave us the Great Commission, it was not exclusive to just leaders in a church. But to all of us, we're all to be ministers of the gospel. And God is calling every single one of us to be able to share the hope that we have in Jesus with our friends, with our families, with our neighbors. And this is what the Great Commission is. And the ultimate mission that Jesus has given to our church and every church was to make him known. You know, for many here today, one of the primary opportunities that you have to share your faith is through your friends, your family, your neighbors, and your coworkers. You know, some call this relational evangelism where we, where we intentionally reach those within our circle of influence. You know, are you guys okay if we do just a, a little exercise this morning? You know, when you live in Cold Lake, I know one of the questions that, one of the statements that people often ask you is how long have you been in Cold Lake? And I know whenever Rhea, who was born and raised here, says, I was actually born and raised here, people always go, wow, that's really rare. I hardly know anybody that was born and raised in Cold Lake because it is such a fluctuating population here in Cold Lake. But for a second, I want to ask you a question. When did you come to Cold Lake? What brought you to Cold Lake if you're from far away? And if you're from here, if this is where you were born and raised, what brought you to Cold Lake Community Church? How did this become your home church? I just want you to think about that for a second. What brought you to Cold Lake Community Church? What brought you to Cold Lake? You have it? You have it in your mind? Now, can you think you can take that and summarize it into 30 seconds? It can be hard to do. Some of us are long-winded, such as myself. It can be quite a feat to condense something into a few words. But I want to challenge us right now, if you would, if you feel comfortable, to stand up, find somebody that you did not come with this morning, and share either how you came to 
live in Cold Lake, share the short story of how you came to Cold Lake or how you end up coming to Cold Lake Community Church. Would you do that, do that for me right now? I know it's going to require a little bit of work, but trust me, there's a point, and I'm going to get to it very, very shortly. So if you haven't switched yet, find somebody else and, um, or, or switch persons and, and, and share the other story if you haven't already. Wonderful. Well, if we could slowly bring it back, hopefully you're almost done. 
You know, this sound, I was just saying to Pastor Hayward, this sound of people talking, it's such a unique sound. A sound of, of you know, a hundred different voices all talking at the same time. Just something about that I really am enjoying this morning. Hearing all your voices and in unity. So how was that? Was it difficult to, to share your story? No? Was there anybody that, that just couldn't think of how they came to Cold Lake? It's like they had like temporary amnesia? Or they're like, I guess I was just born and raised in this church in Cold Lake my whole life. Is there any of you? I don't think so. Probably not. That are adults. Sharing your faith is as simple as sharing a story. Sharing your faith can be as simple as sharing a story. Yeah. And the reason is that when we get saved, we are brought into the larger story of the gospel, God's story. And so to share the gospel is not really different than sharing a story. We're sharing God's story and how God's story is interwoven now with ours as sons and daughters of God. And so you can pull from any aspect of your life to share your story and how God is intertwined with that and where God has brought you from and where he's taking you to. The gospel is our testimony, but it begins and ends with God. The purpose of sharing a testimony, of sharing your faith, is to lead people to Jesus. It points people to God, to salvation. And um, that's why maybe sometimes we, we don't always share our testimonies, because maybe we forget that. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever shared a testimony. You started rambling and talking a lot about yourself, and you're, like, forgetting, like, okay, eventually we're going to get to the God part. I know it's in there somewhere, you know. Um, that was probably me when I got baptized because I like to talk, you know. And, but um, no, God, God is interwoven through our life in so many different ways. And if we think he is not, it's because we're not paying attention if we're following him. The God story, the gospel is part of our life. It is our testimony now that we share with others. And our, our testimony is bigger than us and it points to a creator God who loves us and relentlessly pursues us so that we could know him and bring him glory. You know, when we bring up our faith with others, it's important not to conflate the gospel with the process of leading someone into a relationship with Jesus. And what I mean is that there's kind of two things. There's the gospel as presented by Paul, and then there's the response. And so you see this, for example, in Acts 2 when um, the Holy Spirit comes and people are speaking in tongues, they begin to, the Spirit gives them utterance to speak in known tongues and all the Jewish people that are in Jerusalem for Passover hear their languages and their dialects being spoken. They're thinking, how the heck are all these Galilean fishermen speaking my native dialect? And somebody yells out, they're just drunk. You know, and then Peter stands up and starts defending, saying, no, we're not drunk, we're filled with the Spirit. And God is moving, and God prophesied about this. He begins to talk about the book of Joel and how God would pour out his spirits on sons and daughters that they would prophesy. 
And then he goes and tells the story about Jesus, this Jesus that you crucified, that was crucified and killed, was raised again. And he tells them the gospel story. At the end, the people are just completely convicted by the Holy Spirit, and they say, what must we do to be saved? What can we do? The next part then is the process of leading somebody to Jesus. But I think sometimes we struggle because we start with the process and we forget about the gospel part. We forget that there's two parts. Sharing the God story that is the preparation for even initiating a response. You know, I recently read an article by Lifeway, the organization that creates the Vacation Bible School. And one of the writers of this VBS curriculum wrote about how important it is in the process of building a biblical curriculum for a summer camp for kids, that they have a clear distinction between the gospel message being presented to the kids in their camp and the opportunity at the end for kids to meet Christ, engage with Christ, and uh, put their faith in Him. You know, one of the acronyms that many of you that are Christians will be familiar with is ABC. You know that acronym, ABC? It's something that sometimes we, we teach to someone to, to lead somebody to Jesus or a kid. A is ask or acknowledge, <clears throat> you know. Um, admit that you are a sinner and that God, you know, that you need forgiveness from God. B is believe that Jesus is the Son of God and died for our sins. C, confess your sins to Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with methods. Sometimes these methods can be very helpful to us to help us remember steps or, or how to do things. But the problem is somebody cannot respond to the gospel unless they first rightly heard the gospel message that prompts a response. And so a method such as ABC can be used to guide us if we've first effectively shared the story of the gospel, God's story of his life, his death, and his resurrection. You know, the gospel that brings a person face-to-face with their brokenness, the sin in our lives, and the grace and mercy and salvation that is offered to us through God, through the person of Jesus Christ. You know, this could take place during one conversation, but oftentimes it happens over time that people get multiple doses or, or exposures to the gospel story or to you through your relationship with people. You know, before the effective um, preaching of the gospel, often, in, especially in our modern day context, you need to build rapport and trust with somebody before they're even going to receive anything that you say. And the amazing thing about our social networks, people that already know you, is that you already have that baseline level of rapport and trust built, hopefully. Um, that you are of good character and people trust you and know you and like you most of the time. Um, and so we have an amazing opportunity with everyone we know in different circumstances to be seeking God and, Lord, give me opportunities to be able to share my story, share my faith, share the story of the gospel, of how you came to restore a broken and lost people and how I am one of those who was lost but now I'm found in you. So tell your story. Tell your story. Tell the gospel story. Every one of us who is a follower of Christ has a story about how God saves, restores, speaks into our lives, and has loved us. You know, the gospel is a story of how God created mankind, how man sinned and rebelled against God, 
For the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which means every man, woman, and child needs salvation. It is good news that God loved us anyway, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death, but it is good news that the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's good news that he made a way through the death of his son on the cross by Jesus bearing the wrath and punishment of God on our behalf. It is good news that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's good news that Christ died for our sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. It's good news, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that that's not of yourselves, but a gift of God. It's good news that he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's good news to our friends, our families, and neighbors that do not know Jesus, that he has called us, Cole Lake Community Church, to share the love of God and the message of Jesus with them. You know, every one of you has a story, and every story matters because the gospel matters. We have a story to tell. It's good news, and sharing this gospel can be as simple as you sharing your story. Amen. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.